pretty much have to go into a discomfort pit, or a, he labelled it the pit of discomfort. You go into that for a while because it's just so alien from what you're used to doing. So if you're making a change, unless you go into that pit of discomfort, you, you might not actually be making any sort of change at all because it's the change that's the, the uncomfortableness. Uh, because you, you're basically setting whole new neural pathways, you're, you're accessing new muscles and different timing sequences than you've ever used before. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Gary Haring, who's a former Olympic swimmer and Olympic coach from New Zealand. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brenton. Nice to be here. Well, we, uh, we just got back, what was it, about a month ago from Thailand. We had our Hell Week camps over there, and that was the first Hell Week camp that you'd, you'd attended. Uh, attended. You'd previously come to the, the, the Hawaii camps, but it was the first Hell Week camps. And um, what was your experience over there coaching uh, some of the athletes that we had over there at Hell Week? Um, I think that the standout experience was how amazing the facilities were there. It was uh, such an incredible environment for the athletes to come along and, and spend a week and at, with, with the 50-metre pool and the accommodation and the restaurant looking over the pool and, and, and all the, the sports facilities there. Um, it was just sort of a perfect environment for a training camp. Um, you know the the athletes themselves. We had the two groups come in, and and they were all quite different. Uh, so there was a lot of individual things that sort of I, I put, picked up from those swimmers. But uh, just in general, the the thing that sort of blew me away from my first experience over in Thailand was that there was just the whole Tanyapura um, sports facility. It was amazing. Yeah, we're so lucky to well to have that somewhat somewhat close by to Australia and New Zealand and just to be able to use that facility. I remember five years ago when a friend of mine was working there and he said, oh, you should bring a group of swimmers over and uh, you know, bring them over for a camp. And I originally thought, who I don't know who's going to want to come over and, and do a camp with me, but I'll put it out there, open it up and, and see if anyone wants to come. And it's really become a one of the things I really look forward to each year when we run these camps in October. And uh, the facilities, as you said, are just so perfect with everything on site everything's taken care of and you can really just you can train you can eat without having to worry about cooking or anything um you can sleep rest recover and and really just enjoy yourself so we we were so lucky to have that that facility there and um and this podcast what i want to sort of focus in on is talking about some uh, some examples from hell week with swimmers who were able to make some really significant changes to their to their stroke and to their speed over the course of those those seven days and how someone listening to this podcast could potentially make those changes in their own stroke by applying some of the things that uh, that we went through at Hell Week. And uh, you work primarily probably with the, the, the slower lanes there in Thailand. And uh, you mentioned before the call that there was a couple of common themes that you saw there with those swimmers. So do you want to uh, touch on what some of those common themes were with their technique and, and how you went about making those changes to their stroke? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, there was there was two two to three things that really did prevail with the swimmers over in the slower lanes uh, that I was working with predominantly. 
Um, you know, often the, the first things that I'm trying to identify, you know, just to try and get an overview of the, the, the person and, and, uh, and, and see if we can work on the, the biggest things that I see. And, uh, uh, you know, the terminology that comes to mind is to work on the big rocks um, as, a, as a theory of, of trying to get the big stuff right uh, first and then and then sort of working your way down to the little rocks and, and working on the smaller, more details of technique. But um, I would always look for uh, body positioning or, or the ability for the so-called performance platform of the, the body and how it looked in the water, um, whether the hips were high enough, whether there was back arch, uh, whether there was um, uh, sort of uh, head positioning uh, issues, often through breathing, um, and other things that sort of stuck, stood out in the body positioning area were the uh, sometimes excessive kicking for the speed that was being generated. So often, if you if you'll see a swimmer that's kicking too hard when they're actually just swimming at an aerobic pace. Um, it, it would indicate to me that they're kicking in order to keep lift rather than to actually get any propulsion out of it. Uh, and if you can, if you can then work on a body position that can help generate its own lift, uh, then that that kicking can go away and thus save an awful lot of energy. Um, as we all know, how puffed we get when we swim when we kick very hard. So uh, that, those were often. Just big indicators that uh, would sort of red flag a, a, something that else that was going on in, in, the, in the swimmer, and I'd, I'd then sort of try and rectify that body position and, and however we could do that in a number of ways. Um, the other things that stood out were uh, quite often I would I would see the swimmers reaching forward too much on their catch. Uh, so they were catching in quite a shallow position and, and thus missing out on leverage uh, that they could generate by just generally just trying to get a deeper catch and potentially a maybe a slightly more rhythmic stroke uh, rather than the sort of the just trying to reach and 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 all about distance per stroke. Um, sometimes the concept of distance per stroke is not about reaching forward as far as you can with your hands, but getting down and getting leverage will then allow you more power to pull yourself better through the water, and that's how you're getting your distance per stroke. So mm. sometimes just reaching forward with the hand is, can be quite a um, uh, just a subconscious way that people think they're getting distance, but they're actually not. There's so much subtlety um, and, and nuance to to that sort of stuff too, isn't there? Like uh, when we work on the the catch and the pull, like there's a lot of swimmers who go so uh, go too deep with their arms and they're very straight. But then there's also swimmers who are way who are way too shallow to be able to get any of that that leverage that you're talking about. And so that's why I think it's yeah. um, it, it really comes down to the individual. Like there's no um, there's no advice that's going to fit for everyone because there's all these little nuances to to the things that people are, are doing. And uh, it just depends on what that it, it is for that individual. Yeah, that that's so true. Um, and and you were absolutely right. Some of the swimmers were just driving down too deeply and not getting any sort of leverage on their catch at all. So so very much an individual 
area of uh, of, of the stroke. Um, you know, quite often I, when I first look at it, I try and sort of ignore the wood for the trees, if, if you know what I mean, and just sort of almost blur my eyes and, and see if I can see something standing out uh, with that swimmer. And mm. um, and and often it's it's a little bit different per swimmer. Um, and quite often swimmers over time, they don't realise it, but it, it's the hard stroke that's often the best stroke. So it's the stroke that's making them tired and they don't realise that they're actually subconsciously letting that hard stroke go they're, they're, because they're doing quite a few laps and, and it's tiring to do it that way. They will, you know, as I said, subconsciously, they're not aware of it. They'll actually let go of the water a little bit and find an easier uh, way to rotate through the water. So, you know, sometimes it's about bringing the swimmer back to that awareness of uh, of actually grabbing the water and working with the stroke that maybe is not such a, a pleasant stroke to work with but uh, until you can develop it and get stronger with it. Mm. Yeah, and I, I really like, uh, in reference to that hard stroke, it's not the you know, the stroke that's where you're pulling as hard as you possibly can, but it's the stroke that might be quite tiring as you're as you're pulling through because you're holding a lot more water than what you were before. And one of the things that that really resonated, I think, with the people at Hell Week, you were talking about different gears. So imagine you've got, I might actually let you explain it, but um, the the reference or the analogy of using different gears and and where you should probably spend most of your time training in the in the bigger gear. And uh, then when it comes to racing, it makes the, the lower gears a lot easier to kind of settle into. So do you want, can you explain the uh, the reference to the gears? Because that helped a lot of swimmers on camp. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it was a concept that I didn't come up with. I, I, I first heard of it from um, a famous American coach called David Salo, uh, and he talked uh, with his swimmers, who I, some, several of his swimmers I've, I've worked with in the New Zealand swim team, um, and uh, and they've um, really relayed. Plus, he's talked to me about it, uh, the, the gear system. Uh, it's it's just a really simple simplified way of looking at the power of a stroke, uh, and uh, he just he talks about five gears. Um, he he will talk about that as a training intensity uh, issue as well. He'll he'll tell swimmers, I want this set to be done in fifth gear, or I want this set to be done in third gear, uh, and so it sort of relates. Well, not only to stroke, but in, in amounts of work or energy that you're that you're uh, using up in the pool. Um, but fifth gear, obviously, in, in terms of a bike or, or a car or something like that, is the big strong cog that uh, that maybe takes a bit a bit more power to get around. But once you get that gear moving, uh, that's when you're really going to find your top speed. Um, and as you can go down the gears, sometimes uh, depending on distance, you want to try and find the right gear for the distance that you work on. And it may be that if you're doing a long ocean swim, you might want to be settling into sort of a third gear, third, third and a half, fourth gear, uh, and just finding that efficiency and something that's quite fast, but it's strong. You've got good leverage and, and uh, above all your you're getting decent speed without getting too tired. So there's a sort of a rhythmic energy to that third, fourth gear. Um, 
And then you can, when you really want to sort of overtake or work to a finish of a race, or perhaps it's a shorter race, then you want it, you want a bit of power into that gear rating. So you might want to be able to chop up. But as a coach, I'll notice a lot of times swimmers find it difficult to change gears. So I think it's a important thing to be practicing and training is, is that concept of working through the gears. Um, some swimmers find it very, very difficult to do that and they, they find that they get stuck in sort of those middle gears and they can't find a top gear or even a, a lower gear. So uh, it, is, it is an interesting concept to work with. Yeah, and I, I like the, the way that because we, we've got so much time there on camp, you know, it's not like we're just doing a, an hour and a half session. It's, it's seven days of two sessions a, a day. And I, th- I think we're able to, get people to for those that were struggling with it we're able to get them to have a pretty good sense of what they needed to do to be able to shift gears like we did quite a bit of stroke count work like just some 50s where uh, i think it might have been like 10 50s where we had them do minimum stroke count but in that minimum stroke count it's not like you're holding the glide for two or three seconds it's just keep your normal rhythm going but the way that you can reduce your stroke count is to either reduce the drag or increase the the propulsion and in the effectiveness of your your kick and your rotation and your, and your catch and pull uh and just getting them to to practice that and that's really kind of like that that fifth gear where you're just looking to really maximize the distance per stroke and then uh, we did quite a bit of variable pace work like we did um quite a few sets of 200s and 100s where we had them go sort of one easy one medium one fast and just to be able and giving them their times as they went through it and um and i found throughout the week majority of the swimmers were getting a lot better at being able to to shift those gears and, and change the speed as they went whereas there was probably half the swimmers i'd say at the start of the camp who when they went to uh increase the speed they didn't actually go any faster than the second one and sometimes even the first one like it all just sort of blended into one um and that's that the ability to to change the gears and but i found they really were able to improve that with the um with those different sets that um that we were doing and i mean we saw some pretty pretty dramatic changes with particularly some of the swimmers in those slower lanes where we had swimmers who started out around the sort of 230 240 mark per 100 and then uh, by the end of the the camp they were down to around that sort of two minute mark when they were really sort of pushing it and and what what changes did you see happen for like those swimmers who were able to make such big improvements in such a short space of time um well i think there's a a range of things it was it was uh sometimes we would just see those changes from fitness that the swimmers were getting through the week you know you'd you'd see Mm -hmm. them sort of often go on second and third day they'd go through a bit of a tired Patch, but before the end of the week, that most of them were really breaking through, and and uh, and you could see the fitness, uh, especially doing all that long course 50 meter swimming outdoors. Um, but um, you know, technical changes. I'd like to think that that they that embraced the things we'd talked about, and um, and uh, you know that that was the magic wand. Um, and and you know, surely it is. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just that oftentimes it's quite um you know you can sometimes you can see as you know you can see someone just instantly it's a it's a light bulb moment and what what you've discussed with them that they've got straight away and and they're liking it straight away but sometimes it's a it's a three four five day process and and you'll often see them getting on to what you're talking about three days later and i had several swimmers coming up and saying things like that i 
I've only just felt what you were talking about on Monday, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it is a whole range of of uh, of of those sorts of things, um, and, and just clicking. And, and and I think one of the neat things we also did on camp was because uh, we had so many coaches that everyone got analysed by everyone, and um, so I would have swimmers coming to me and saying. Uh, something that you'd said to them uh, really resonated and then it helped them and, and uh, it sort of exemplified what I'd said or, or something Mitch had said. And I think uh, that because we were all often on the same sort of wavelength, um, it, it, uh, it just really helped the, helped the swimmers to get that reinforcement from different angles and, and spoken in different ways. Yeah, that's that's one of the real benefits i think to having being able to have so many coaches on camp and that's what uh like we've got seven camps coming up next year which you've which i think you're doing six of um so you'll be at the noosa camp in march the two hawaii camps in july and then the uh the Hawaii camps in october uh and we've got i'm just saying we've got minimum three coaches for each of those but um i think even four or five for some of the uh the other camps and uh and the way that we sort of structure the the weeks are We've in the afternoons, typically in the afternoons, we do sort of two-on-one uh, coaching where we we do filming and and you get to work really closely with with each coach each day, and um, and it's that you're exactly right. It's like so a lot of people come out to me and said, oh, this thing that Gary said, this made the difference. Or like an example that I had, um, one of the the swimmers on camp, Kaz, she was having trouble basically with the exit of her stroke. She was too wide, and I think it was on the second day that we were doing the the, the two-on-one uh, coaching. Mitch had said to her, look, just imagine that you're coming into your opposite hip on your other side when you go to exit. And that's kind of the exaggeration she had to feel to fix her exit and get it in closer to her hip. And it was that, it was just that one idea that allowed her to make that change and just fix something that she'd been working on for a very long time. And it's just the the different um, messages, same point, but different message. And sometimes it'll, you know, different things will connect with different people and um, that's what I really um, love, and I sort of, sort of, I really want to make sure that people get that, um, that, you know, pretty much one-on-one coaching at the camp, and that's why um, I'm no longer running these camps by myself. I mean, five years ago when I ran the first Hell Week, it was me and about 20 swimmers, and uh, that was way too, way too much. And I don't, I don't know if we did video analysis uh, then, but now it's uh, you know minimum three, three coaches, if not more, and uh, geez, it makes such a, a difference with the improvement that people make and uh certainly makes my job a lot easier as well because uh it's nice to be able to let like you and mitch and phil just kind of do your thing because you've been in this sport for for so long and you know what you're doing and uh it's just great to be able to just trust that you guys will you know you, you you've got the knowledge you've got the coaching there and um you can just kind of do your thing which is which is really really good and one of the things that uh, i picked up from you i think it was on the first podcast that we recorded was the the pit of discomfort talking about the awkward and uncomfortable feeling that you're going to have when you're changing your stroke. And I relay that as much as I possibly can, because it's, it's kind of, I think you put wording to the kind of put the wording to the, the thing that I knew was there, but I didn't have a great way of explaining it. And now I, I really preface camps and clinics with, with that pit of discomfort that you're going to go through. And for those people who haven't heard that before, could you explain what that is uh, that people will experience when they're improving their stroke? Yeah, like well, again, not not my concept. It was something I was taught to me um, on a coaching course, 
and it was very general. It's not just for swimming, it's for all sports, uh, but it was a, a neurologist talked about it. And, uh, and just in terms of um, motor, motor skill learning and, and neurally uh, and, and adapting to new techniques and new habit forming, and, uh, and basically he said his concept was that you pretty much have to go into a discomfort pit, or a, he labelled it the pit of discomfort. You go into that for a while because it's just so alien from what you're used to doing. So if you're making a change, unless you go into that pit of discomfort, you you might not actually be making any sort of change at all because it's the change that's the the uncomfortableness uh, because you, you're basically setting whole new neural pathways. You're, you're accessing new muscles and different timing sequences than you've ever used before. Uh, but if you think about it logically, that's how you make a new technique happen. And that's how uh, through repetition through that pit of discomfort, then you, you come out with a habit. Uh, so, and, and that's ideally what we all want is good habits in the pool uh, or any sort of uh, physical activity that we're doing, we want those things to be able to happen naturally through through repetition and practice. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's something that I I really embrace myself whenever I'm doing any sort of sport or, or training. I, I always think that you know that uncomfortable feeling uh, is is worth persevering through. You know, oftentimes if you know that the concept of what you're doing makes sense. Uh, and if you know that 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 uh, the way that you're doing it should make certain muscle groups feel tired or uncomfortable, or uh, then you sort of embrace those those specific uncomfortableness uh, feelings, and and you work with them, and you sort of you sort of bring them bring them aboard um, as part of your routine. And and generally, the the pit is just a pit. It'll, you'll generally come out the other end and and feel way better because of it at some point, but there's, uh, there's often just that awkward period when you're making change. That's pretty much the, what the pit's all about. Mm. And I want to talk about the connectedness in the stroke. One of the, one of the swimmers that we had was having trouble, basically having trouble with keeping his arm out in front while he was getting the breath. So his arm that was, was in front kept dropping down, elbow was dropped and he just, just couldn't keep it out there and really, get the timing of the stroke to keep it front quadrant. And uh, he was just really struggling. And he was he's quite tight through the shoulders as well. So, you know, mobility is sort of there um, too. But one of the things that you had uh, had this swimmer do to be able to keep that lead arm out in front for balance and support and to get a better catch was you actually had him uh, slow down the, the hand at the back of the stroke through the exit just to be able to keep pressure on the water and, and provide propulsion for him to be able to keep that lead arm there because um, one of the things you noticed was he was coming out a bit short, which was causing that, that hand to drop. And what are some of those, those other things in the stroke? Well, first of all, if you could talk sort of about, about that and and how you noticed it, but what are some of those other things that are connected in the stroke as well that you tend to, to look at if there's certain um, faults or flaws in the stroke? Yeah, um, I, I'm a firm believer that there's all sorts of magic rhythm, rhythmic um, sort of patterns in swimming. It's quite mathematical in some weird way, in an artistic way. Um, the, you know, there are, there's everything's related through. You know, and, so, and it's oftentimes in, in 
uh, long axis strokes, freestyle and backstroke, it's, it's related to the body roll. And so, you, you, you know, your, your roll from side to side is the engine that powers your stroke. But you can't get a good roll unless your kicking timing is correct and the, the, the feet give you a little bit of pressure in order to push the hips and the shoulders and, and get that roll going. Um, so you need purchase on your feet in order to put to get the body rolling. So the timing of the kick is is incredibly linked, whether it's a two beat kick or a six beat kick, uh, to that to that just roll from side to side with the sh- with the hips and shoulders, um, and and then the the stroke is in sync with that as well. So um, you know w- there are little patterns, things like that. If you're looking at the front end of a stroke, have a, also have a look at the back of the of the other arm stroke. You know what's what's the finish of a stroke doing while the other stroke's catching? Because if you're if you're not pushing back enough with one hand, then you're not getting that good push and glide that's reaching you into the next stroke with the other hand. So there's a, a real connection between the finish of one stroke and the catch of another. Uh, was something that I really worked on a lot with backstroke. Um, backstroke's slightly different from freestyle. It's not a catch-up aspect to it at all. It's a very windmilly stroke. But you really need um, the seamless transition of push from one hand into the catch of the other. Uh, and it is it, that concept itself is very, very similar in freestyle, even though it's slightly different timing of, of where you're doing that but um, those sort of things the timing of the breathing uh, working with the roll of the shoulders and 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 the rhythm of the kick um, all of those sort of things are uh, trying to get those those timing patterns right and uh, oftentimes it's even more noticeable in strokes like butterfly and breaststroke if the if you get the timing out in those strokes uh, uh, the, the stroke can be very very hard to do Mm. One of the things I've started to give a lot of our uh, the online members who send their videos in for analysis is um, I'm tending to look a, a lot more at the at the feet and if the the timing's out and that connectedness with the kick and the the rotation and the front end of the stroke if it's not quite there I've just been getting them to do some like a lot of them I'll, I'll give them six fifties with a kickboard and a snorkel and building one to three so easy medium fast fifty do that twice through. And like it doesn't need to be a lot if they're not doing anything at the moment, but just that pure pure kicking is part of their warm up and doing that across four, five, six weeks. I've seen a, a big difference just in the in the entire stroke once they have that more effective kick with that little bit of downwards and upwards pressure with the with the down and upbeat. And uh, yeah, and it's exactly right. It's um, for the swimmers who where there's there's just no connectedness through the kick uh it's very hard to get that that front end working without it and i think when i first probably started coaching triathletes i had um probably a bit less of a focus on it because i was like well you don't really need to you don't need to be kicking hard uh for those longer distances but uh, the thing i was missing there was well yeah you need an effective kick though which uh, which means that it'll help you with the with the hip rotation and uh, and everything else. So um, it is it is certainly important, even though it's not necessarily going to provide a lot of propulsion. It will help um, help with everything else. So it's uh, it's something that I've started to look a lot more at. And um, and I mean for swimmers who struggle with like with kicking, like there are, there are a lot of swimmers who 
can't go forwards when they're they're kicking like their ankle inflexibility is really bad i just get them to start out with start out with fins on and uh get started that way and then that that will help to loosen up the ankles you're probably best having some good fins like some you know the dmc fins that, that we recommend uh because if you're using you know, maybe some of the speedo fins which can be very stiff uh and very heavy then they can actually it's not great for your ankle flexibility. So some good fins, just kick with those first and a kickboard and a snorkel. So you got your head down and uh, then you'll eventually get to the point where you can just take them off and move forwards. And it might even, it might be a very slow progression for people who are, it might be in your fifties, sixties and so on. Uh, and, and, and you're very tight through the ankles, but you can get there and uh, it can make a, a world of difference once you, once you do. Have you sort of seen that with um, a lot of swimmers who are in their fifties and sixties? Who, who have maybe come from a running yeah, background. And- absolutely. And, and I think there, there is a, a general, um, we'll, we'll try not to generalize too much, but there does seem to be a, a lack of wanting to kick as the adult, especially the, the sea swimmers, the triathletes. Um, mm. So it's interesting you say that. Um, that you know, they, I get a lot of my squads, uh, that my uh, adult fitness and, and triathlete ocean squat squads, they, they've, Feel uh, you know you see them sort of turn their their noses up to doing kick sets, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I I can see on the surface that it that it's maybe not relevant, especially when you get a wetsuit on and so on. But um, it's just, I keep going back to the fact that it just makes you a better swimmer. It, it, it gives you core stability. Um, if you kick timing is right, uh, it, it helps the, the rotation, the power you get through the stroke and through the hips. You know, there's there's some absolutely amazing uh, world class, world champion swimmers that have been two big kickers. You don't have to have a six big, powerful sprint kick, but uh, it, it's just the timing and the drive of those two big kicks is usually very good with a good swimmer. Um, and so, so it is it is something that I think is very important. I think uh, being able to kick with flippers, like you say, good flippers. Um, being able to do different types of kicking, I think, is very important because just kicking on your front with a board generally puts you in a bad body position. It arches you back. It, it lets you bend your knees a bit too much. It focuses on a down kick more than an up kick. I, so I like to mix up the kicking. Uh, do some on your back, especially on your side. It's very good because you've got even pressure both ways in the water. So you can feel an up and a down kick. Uh, and that drive coming from both directions of kick is really, really important for that drive, that purchase that you want to be uh, working with the hips and the height of the hips and the roll of the hips. Um, so that, you know, that sort of thing I think is very important, just to mix it up and uh, and just look at it as an overall part of swimming. So it's just a drill basically to try and help the rest of the stroke improve yeah, and uh, and just to sort of finish up, we as we're going through some of the the sets in at Hell Week, like we'd have we'd typically have like one more of a sort of training session in the in the day, and then one more uh, skills and technique focused session. In that uh, in the sessions where we're sort of working a bit harder, and it was more of a training session. Um, as you're working with uh, some, some of those guys and girls in the in the slower lane. Particularly, like if you think of the DC special, which is the the forty fifty set that we always finish up Hell Week with, where you, you basically um, the the set is sixteen fifties, where you go every fourth one fast, 
1250s where every third yep. one is fast, eight where every second is fast, and then the last four are all fast. What was your what message did you have um, for the, the swimmers as they were going through that in order for them to be able to maintain their their pace in those fast ones throughout the whole set uh, and keep their their stroke together? Because um, I mean, I think ever like in both weeks and um, and across all of the lanes, like people really finished off well with that that DC special set. What were the, some of the messages that you were giving to those swimmers to be able to sustain their pace? Um, you know, a lot of times I was actually trying to hold them back because I knew that I knew the sort of the length of that set, what it was going to be uh, for the level of the swimmers, and um, so so a lot of times it was a bit a bit about hey, let's relax more now. Um, Mm. You know, just stretch it out, work on your stroke on these easy ones and so on, just so that we could get the different paces of gears. But um, I think a lot of the swimmers, uh, well, you know, I was basically giving them times on every one that they were coming in. And I, I don't think a lot of the, those swimmers had had that degree of um, sort of sort of coming in and someone telling them exactly how the work that they've done equated to an improvement in time. And, and so that, that sometimes was just a really nice thing to have uh, is, is that, uh, that knowledge of, of, you know, what your, your time pacing is. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a, a great set. I really enjoyed working with the swimmers on that one. It's quite, um, I know just from my own swimming, like it's quite motivating once you've, if you've got someone there giving you your, your times, and you don't need to look at your, your watch, don't need to look at the, the stop clock. Like you're getting your times there and all you need to focus on, in on is the, the your output and your effort. And uh, especially for, I mean, probably I'd say half the swimmers at, at each of the camps there probably don't get that on a regular basis just in the, the squads. Um, so they're, they're not exactly sure what the, the effort required is for, for the times. And yeah, in terms of holding back at the start of a, let's say a 2K main set like that, uh, you've you've really got to hold back because it's pretty easy to burn all of your matches at the start in the first sort of ten to ten to fifteen fifties um, if you are going completely you know, all out in those those fast ones. So you're right. A lot of it is about um, knowing what how to pace it and how to um, how to just take it easy at the start because I mean it doesn't usually take a lot of extra effort to increase the the speed. It means you just hold the, the good that good technique. Add in a little bit more effort, but you can see a you know pretty good result, a couple seconds per fifty faster um, by doing that. But you can easily go from say like your easy ones might be a five out of ten, and your fast ones might be an eight out of ten. But it's pretty easy to go to like a, a ten out of ten, and maybe only go half a second faster for that fifty. But you've burnt your matches early on. Whereas all you want to do is just sit at that that eight out of ten instead. And I, I think that's what uh, can be a, a real skill to learn to do. But the more types of the more often you do those types of sets, the better you get at it, and that really transfers into your ability to to hold a, a good pace in in the races that you're you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and oftentimes that eight out of ten in effort would be the ten out of ten in time uh, without them yeah. realizing it. Um, you know, you'd get that you'd get the the fastest time on the ones that were that were just being um, worked on efficiently and and. Uh, you know, like you say, at about an eighth level, uh, and so, you know, you, you would often see uh, swimmers as they tried harder, they you know perhaps create more drag by by thrashing or so on. <clears throat> yeah, and that's um, 
that's one of the things that can be good about um, well, can be good be good about camps is like the environment is everyone's generally pretty relaxed. Maybe at the start, like everyone's sort of figuring it out first day, so um, they're not as relaxed. But as they go through it, like people are in a good headspace. We do those breathing exercises. They're in paradise. The weather's good, um, sunny. Uh, everyone's just in, in that headspace where they're not trying to force things, and that's what I I notice. Um, like I guess at a camp compared to maybe like a, a squad uh, is that people are just in that in that sort of environment people can change a lot a lot easier and a lot quicker when they come from that that place of calmness of relaxation and um, not trying to overdo things yeah absolutely uh, and and you, you saw people settle in as the week went on it was just such a beautiful environment with all the trees around them and, and all the water um, but, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, I think, you know, from, from my point of view, working, having that sharing ability with the, with all four of us coaches, um, it, it was uh, it, it was it's quite novel because uh, you know, coming from a high performance background, uh, the coaches might talk to each other about uh, concepts, but the you know the high performance swimmers. Well, the coaches were often very possessive about their swimmers, and they didn't want other coaches working with them. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was all about the relationship between co- that coach and that swimmer. And you see that a lot in high-performance um, swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it is, it's, so, it's so refreshing to, to have those different opinions being all uh, dished out, you know, four different, different coaches giving concepts uh but you know again they're not generally not different concepts they're all uh, pretty much on on the the same wavelength uh that we were working with because we're talking so much out of the pool about about our coaching concepts with each other that we're all sort of learning from each other at the same time so mm. it is it is just a, a really novel thing i think especially from my background as a coach yeah yeah and it's good to uh it's good to be a, a part of that like it's uh like for me i really thoroughly enjoyed uh, the the camps in in thailand because it's uh like it's just it's a good group of coaches everyone's um all the swimmers are just they're they're there because they want it they want to improve but they're also there to have a holiday to be able to relax and um and just in, enjoy being over there and uh, and next year, so I mean, so we're coaching at, at Noosa, Hawaii, and uh, and Thailand. So uh, if you if you're listening and you want to work with myself and and Gary, um, all of those camps are on our website, so you can check out the details there. But basically, got Noosa in March and May, uh, Hawaii in July, and then the uh, Thailand camps in October. So um, yeah, really looking forward to to those and having you back on. Uh, having you having you back there on deck, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, as you said, it's probably a, a slightly different environment to uh, to what you're used to. Like it's, you know, we we, we train hard and, and we put a lot into it, but uh, I just I really love the relaxed environment that we that we can have at each of these these places, and and the fact that that we get to go to such beautiful destinations. It's um, I mean, I just I really love, it. and that's why I've added I've got seven camps going next year, where it was uh, through what was it three this year. Um, I just thought, yeah, this is what I, I really enjoy. So I want to just do do more of them. Which uh, which of the camps you're looking forward to the most? Oh gosh, uh, you know, honestly, I, I I really like you. I enjoy them all. Um, you know, I haven't done Noosa yet, so I'm not sure what that's like. I am looking forward to that because I've never been to Noosa. 
uh, which is a, a strange thing. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, it's almost transplanting, isn't it? Hawaii was quite similar to me to uh, Thailand in content of what we were delivering. Maybe, you know, there was a bit more work in Hell Week uh, than, than in Hawaii, but in, in general it was really the focus on technique and working with the swimmers and uh, and trying to find the, the, the challenges involved with uh, helping people to improve their strokes. So, you know, so I, I look forward to that no matter where that is. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I don't know if I have a favourite yet. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'll it's let a... you know next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast and uh, we will catch up in, in March. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to that that first camp in Noosa. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on the podcast again. I'll look forward to it in the future. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.